Kia ora and welcome to episode 90 of the Stag Raw. How good. This episode I'm joined by Andre Alapati from the Hunters Club and also at Train Hunt Thrive. The episode we talk a little bit about his recent expedition to the CrossFit Games. It's the World Championships for CrossFit. Um, if you watch uh, Event 1, you can see Andre on there. The commentators have a hard time saying his name right, but he's there, he's doing his best and, and representing the Kingdom of Tonga, which is absolutely awesome. The other thing we talk about in this podcast is training for the hunt. Andre being a bow hunter, he tries to get in five hours a day. We talk about how his rifle hunters would probably need to do a bit more practice, which brings me to a shoot that's going on at NZDA Auckland, um, their range out there at Riverhead. Um, it's going to be this Saturday, the 8th of September, Kicking off at 8.30, going through to 5pm, Forestry Road, Riverhead. Uh, registrations uh, for juniors under 16 is $12.50, and seniors over 16 $42.50. And it's the Steiner Prize shoot, so the big winning draw card for that is to win a Steiner Scope retailing at over $2,000. So something awesome to slap on your rifle and, and do the business with. Um, don't worry though, there's plenty of spot prizes for all who attend. So literally just get there and you'll win something, which is pretty cool. Um, and the funds raised for that are going towards updating the club rooms there for the Auckland NZDA at Point Chevalier, Auckland NZDA, massive uh, numbers of people joining and probably leading the way, they've been Wellington doing great stuff, um, our, our club here at Hastings had a good turnout last month and I'm hoping for the same this week when we uh, have the prize giving, so that should be pretty awesome. Um, Public service announcement, the Instagram page has changed to be the Stag Raw to fit in line with the podcast, save a bit of confusion, you know, at Stag Vision, not on the Stag Raw, you know, all that sort of stuff, but so now it's just the Stag Raw, and we're giving away volume two of the Hunter's Journal. We've got Cam coming on the podcast this week, Cam also videos for the Hunter's Club, well that's a bit confusing, Hunter's Journal, Hunter's Club, um, which of course Andre Alapati is one of the presenters for. Um, yeah, so we're giving away that magazine. Just head to the Stag Raw on Instagram, tag a mate, follow myself and the Hunter's Journal, and you'll be in the draw to win a copy of Volume 2. Um, in our ep- episode coming up, uh, Cam mentions that the Volume 3 will be out on the 9th of September. That date's been pushed back to the 16th of September, so plenty of time to digest Volume 2 before Volume 3 hits the shelves. Anyway, it's enough yabbering. Make sure you follow the pages, get in contact and uh, enjoy this episode with Andre Alapati from the Hunters Club and Train Hunt Thrive. Kia ora everybody, uh, we're doing another podcast with another keen hunter, but if you're watching the videos, you'll see he's also a keen crossfitter, not just keen. <laughs> this man has been to the games, and so now I'm talking to a second person who's been to games 2019. Bro. Oh. How was it? You well, the floor was no good and the heat was hot. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was pretty warm. I t- like I was saying to you before, um, we were just talking before. This was like it was a hell of an experience. That's for sure. Um, to yeah, to be actually out there competing with with all those uh, all those high level um, athletes was was something to um, definitely cherish. But yeah, the, there was just like hunting. I guess there's, there were factors involved that. Um, you've got to take into account like the heat and the surface and I don't know, just even the time, the time difference and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I was hugely thankful to have that opportunity to be able to go over and do it and uh, represent uh, my country and, and people at home and my gym and, and whatnot. So it was, yeah, it was a real honor to be mm-hmm. honest. Um, one of the thoughts I had and, and it was 
I guess it's one of those things that you know you don't know until you get there and you get involved with it. So how, how yeah. much sort of competition have, had you done and how had they gone and then what was um, it like being in that international level? <laughs> oh, I mean, like I'm, I'm a bit long in the tooth. Um, so, I mean, I mean, sort of my wife and I have been involved in CrossFit for, I don't know, probably be over a decade now. And, and initially when we, when we first started out, I was competing in sort of domestic and local competitions and stuff like that. And, but not not on a um, not a I wouldn't even say an elite level sort of like your general RX level. So and then fast forward to now, it probably hasn't been a lot of competing at all because obviously um, a lot of my time gets taken up with hunting and and travelling and work and business and whatnot. So I probably wouldn't have said I've competed a lot at all in the last three years. But going to a competition like that, um, yeah, I guess there's as you as anybody would have, there'd be some sort of level of nerves going into it. But I was sort of happy and confident knowing that, you know, there's been a fair amount of time that's gone into doing CrossFit over the years that hopefully would hold me in good stead. And hopefully that nothing came up that I like, couldn't absolutely not do. So I was kind of thankful um, with that sort of money in the bank, I guess. But at the same time, when you're competing at that level, as you probably know, like some of those athletes out there are just like, it's, <laughs> it's just a whole other tier in terms of like athleticism and, and uh, yeah, it, it's sort of hard to describe until you're actually standing on the start line and it's three, two, one, go. And there's a, a guy like Ben Smith beside you who's, you know, a multiple guy, uh, games uh, veteran and a, and a games champion, um, you know, a couple of lanes down from you. And just here's old mate from New Zealand, you know, your two Bob Hunter lining up beside him. So yeah, it's sort of surreal. But at the same time, I was sort of, I was confident that I could do whatever was presented in front of me. And it just kind of played out like that, that I was able to participate up to a point. <laughs> yeah, man, and, and you said, like, you know, it could have been, could have been worse. There was plenty of guys in your heat that just couldn't get through it. And then... Yeah, yeah. And yourself, you know, you, you were getting even a few mentions on the commentary. I was like, oh, they, they couldn't say your last name properly, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of figured that was funny because when, we, um, when, we, when you go to, like, register and you go through an athlete orientation, there's actually a station that you go to and they get you to say your name into the microphone and they must like pre-record it to for commentators and stuff. And I, um, I even, even still there, they weren't able to probably, maybe it was my accent. I don't know, but, but uh, I, didn't, I didn't actually hear any of that. Or I haven't actually haven't watched the videos of it all, to be honest, but um, yeah, I could, at, at one point I could hear um, him and I getting called out, but yeah, again, you're like, when you're in the heat of battle, you don't really take much notice of it, to be honest. And it was kind of chaotic because it was like, I can't even remember how many guys were on the floor, but there was, you know, quite a number of us in the heat. So you sort of like focus on task at hand type scenario. But yeah, it's it's really hard actually like reflecting on it now, talking to somebody else about it. I haven't had really a chance to do that because I've only, I've only been home for a few days. So um, yeah, I'm sort of like jogging things through my memory of like what that moment was like to be out there with some of those guys and the lead up to it and even post it, talking to other athletes and how they felt they'd performed and the things that they got caught on and, all that kind of stuff. Even some of the guys that that, um, that that are probably considered elite top 20 athletes that really struggled with some of the movements, for instance, like it was interesting hearing other people talk about how the workout or what the effort, how it was constructed, how it was really tough for them too. So yeah, it was good. It was, it was, I think it was good programming and quite a good way to um, like a stepping stone to like really earn those spots in every cut, I think. So yeah, I liked it. I like the I like the new format, and I like the way that it's more international, and I like the way that um, yeah, to be in that top ten on the final day, like you've got to be like 
you've got to be a legit athlete <laughs> in all domains. Yeah. And, and what was, you know, crazy was, like you say, even Pat Velner and Cut One got caught up and, you know, yeah. he's been on the podium and then didn't make, didn't make the top 10. It was just like, Oh, wow. oh, absolutely. This is, this yeah, is I mean, different and something amazing. <laughs> and I think I, I like that. It's the same with like hunting, you know, the, sometimes the, the, old, the odd spanner in the works kind of like, I don't know, it's for, for guys like that, for instance, that are at the top top end or at the, at the high level of that probably may have been frustrating because it kind of didn't play to their strengths in some situations. But I, I kind of like that when you like throw a bit of a cat amongst the pigeons and, 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 and there's like a, a new dimension and a new challenge to it. I kind of like that. The, the more weird and awkward and oddball for me, the better. And it's similar to like being out in the environment when, when you're out hunting or doing stuff in the outdoors. Like I guess most outdoorsmen, they thrive with that sort of like unknown scenario, you know, and you, you kind of like that. And uh, some people thrive in it and some others don't, I guess. Yeah, I guess it's that uh, doing all that you can to prepare, uh, taking an educator guess at something and... Um, <laughs> And going for it, even myself, I was double, triple te- um, checking my GPS in the map to think, can I get down this spur? But the other the other week, but also was a little bit hairy. It was safe, and and, <laughs> and um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, there's another situation where you, you you know you follow a trail and to try and get an animal, and and then you go, well, now I've got to get out of here, and, and I think I could do this. Um, and, yeah, yeah. Because there's an out. There's an, there's an element to that, like that scenario you're explaining, like there's an element to it where you, like you, you have some sort of level of confidence in yourself and your ability to be able to like, you know, what if I do go off the beaten track a little bit here or I put myself out there, like for me going to the games, for instance, was putting myself out there. Like, so, you know, the having, having that background in outdoors and, and doing the stuff that we do, like I'm kind of uncomfortable but comfortable in that situation if it makes sense like Mm -hmm. i know it's going to hurt or it's going to be foreign or the environment's going to be different but that's for me that's something that's relatively familiar and Mm -hmm. and just the stuff that we do in the outdoors like i i I thrive and i live for that scenario in the bush like i live for the change i live for the um i love the trips where things sort of go a little bit sideways and you're having to make up ground or or come up with a new plan on the fly like I, i like that scenario so um, the CrossFit was going to the games was sort of a, like a, like a, almost like fanatical extension of that a little bit. But um, yeah, like I said, I, not taking anything away from anybody else. Like there, there was some amazing athletes out there, and I watched them actually perform like with my own two eyes. It was it was phenomenal. Yeah. So yeah, I was really thankful to have that opportunity to actually give it a crack. I guess. <laughs> yeah, mate. And also, you know, drawing some parallels with with hunting and CrossFit, you know. For, for me as a relative um, amateur to both of them, I, I look at that all the time and go, wow, that, that's just amazing. What Could you sort of see the mental capacity of, you know, you know, the, you watch Matt Fraser documentaries and just go, mm. how the hell does that guy have that sort of output? Yeah. And, you know, his, his experience in Olympic lifting, and, and it's the same with Tia, you know, she's got that experience in Olympic yeah. lifting, which seems to be the edge at the moment. But, you know. I think all those guys at that level, at that top level, and I'm obviously I'm talking I'm talking with me totally removed from that. Like I'm I'm just <laughs> talking from a, as an observer and and, and someone that um, coaches and been around CrossFit and uh, for a little while. Like being in in say the warm up hall or even just within the sort of vicinity of those guys, and you can kind of just tell, you know, they're they're very they're very focused about what they're doing, even though they may be sort of uh, joking around and, and come across pretty relaxed. But I sort of had the feeling that these guys, you know, they're 
they excel at they've excelled at something in their lives, whether it's sport or something. They just have this ability to be able to apply themselves to that thing, and that thing for these guys was this CrossFit. And it's a multi sort of domain, multifaceted type sport, I guess. But they're able to like really, really sort of invest their time into what they're doing. And as you said, like guys like Matt Fraser, I mean, those guys are have committed their lives to to um, training and just building that mental toughness and building the tolerance to to all these different physical, um, uh, I guess, domains that they get tested with and their ability just to weather it and keep coming back for more and more is just astounding. Like I, it's, yeah, it, it is actually amazing watching them train, but also even just watching them compete and just seeing how much grit they're able just to like <laughs> put out there. It's, just, it's phenomenal. Like it's phenomenal to see that much work because for, 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 for most of those guys, I mean, they're, they're putting in hours and hours and hours and hours mm. in a day, in a single day. So, um, yeah, I guess they're not um, scared of doing the work, I suppose, is what it comes down to. <laughs> yeah, mate. And, and so speaking of doing the work, how did if I could cast your mind back, what is it, four or five years ago, <laughs> and there's the odd hunting show on, I think, Murray Television. There's plenty of <laughs> YouTube weekend. Yeah. Weekend Warriors out there doing awesome jobs recording their hunts, and you guys have got Dave. I was just chuck. I was just chuckling there, thinking of how little, how how unmainstream hunting, like so, as you said five years ago. But even now, how it's still sort of like a little bit undercover, but it's really starting to emerge. But yeah, yeah. I was sort of just thinking how how much it's how far it's come. You know how it's come since you know as you said five or six years ago. Yeah, yeah. And so you you guys have seen the product. You got sponsors. It's going to be on Sky Sport. Like, yeah. what the what the hell was going through your heads? Was were you guys like, is anyone going to watch us? What's what? What are we yeah. going to do? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I, I think when we when we all sort of like banded together and we like really sort of like solidified what it what the show kind of was. I mean, Dave obviously he's a producer. And he's great great at being at, to be able to sort of look into the future a little bit and sort of see the bigger picture of what what his idea of the show is going to be but as us as hosts and hunters on the ground sometimes you're a little bit removed from that you're just you're just thinking like logistics you're thinking hunting you're thinking the technical stuff to get the job done but we even even now us us guys i guess i'm speaking myself a little bit here but even now when we get an edit through or we're part of that post-production process and we we see the visual of what it is dave's captured or what we've constructed even now i'm still like Sometimes I'm a bit like, I take a slip back and go, man, that's actually pretty cool. I can't believe we've got to a point where we're able to, to convey this to people outside our, um, I mean, because if, you, if, you're, if, you're if you're a hardcore diehard hunter, like you're living that, like you're out there doing it and you know what that feels like, you know what it smells like, you know what, what how arduous it can be, you know the, what the glory feels like when you get that, that animal that you've been chasing. But, but to be able to like capture it on in like digital media and be able to share that with someone, say, and... I don't know, that's never been hunting before and to be able to convey what that, those emotional and physical things feel like on, and, and, uh, I guess in videos quite satisfying, but at the same time surreal because you don't like, I almost feel like I'm removed from it. Like mm. when I don't often watch a lot of the full episodes on TV, I just, we sort of, we're all always on to the next sort of job kind of thing. But yeah, to go back to your question, I guess I was sort of like starting to derail you a little bit there, but I, yeah, we were in true Kiwi fashion. We were just literally winging it, mm. trying to like make up the content and come up with ideas. And because there was a good group, core group of us, 
we're 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 quite um I guess pretty honest with each other and we're able to bounce ideas off you know off each other and say no nah, that was crap cut it or like you know that's not a good idea we don't have time for that or that it's, it's it's not a good use of um of our time and so i think that having a core group of guys like tim sam um anto and dan and dave obviously it's it, we're it can be ferocious at times because we we having that just that nucleus of people with different ideas i think it's kind of healthy to what we do so even though it seems like at times it's a little bit like to me anyway, like we're just sort of flying by the seat of our pants. There's like sort of organized chaos, <laughs> but it works for us. It really works. I think it really does work for us, but I still pinch myself a little bit and go, man, we are actually doing this like five, six seasons deep and we're still going, Oh, that's right. We're still making TV. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, man, and, and it must've been, uh, you know, somewhat relieving that somebody wanted to sponsor the show and, and get gear to you. Like, did, did, what yeah. was, the, was the pitch like? Did you have some pilot? Footage or what? <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. I mean, initially to, to I mean, then this with Dave and, and Dan and, and Sam, the, the real grunt work had to, had to, you know, it's like anything, you, you're having to pitch an idea to somebody um, and trying to captivate them enough to be go, you know what, I think this is worth a shot. And so, um, I mean, all, all that sort of stuff, all the, all the um, kudos can go to Dave there because, I mean, he was the guy knocking on doors and, and making it happen. And, and fortunately, we were able to rub shoulders with the right people and, who actually believed in what we were doing at the time and thought, you know, this is, this is new. It's interesting um, to believe in like the values that we were trying to like portray. And, and as, and as a result, we've still got those people behind us, you know, like mm-hmm. Red Stag Tim, like Marty, he took a shot at us, you know, what is it like six years ago now? And he's still there with us, backing us all the way. And, um, and he's even out, out in the field with us at times. And he's just one of those guys too. He's, a, he's just a good, keen man himself. And he sees the value in what this is and how it portrays New Zealand and the people that do what we do. So I think he's a real good guy to have in your corner, just like all the other guys and sponsors that we have in, in our corner is like, they've, they've been there since effectively day dot and uh, been able to help us sort of like get it out there, I guess. So we're fortunate in that sense from that perspective. But at the same time, like I said to you, sometimes from our end, it can be like organized chaos, but we make it work. I think it, it, it yeah, it works like that. I don't think it could be, we don't want to remake it too. Um, I don't know what the term is, but like we wouldn't want to be too like straight up and clean cut and dry about it. Or you know, that's just not the nature of what we do. <laughs> I guess I guess also one advantage of, of being a sponsor of such a good show is you you might get the odd uh, trip into Fiordland with with a massive group of keen, keen people <laughs> or down the down a Stewart Island. It's not, yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> hey, there's some uh, there's some perks for sure for those guys, and 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 yeah, and, and we we definitely we we foster that, eh? Like, we want we want the guys to be involved, and I think that relationship. I think, um, not to speak out of turn, but like our relationship with some of the guys that back us and our sponsors, like it's a it's a it's an actual like relationship. Like, the guys from Trade come down and come hunting with us. Marty comes hunting with us, you know. Like, and and we're not just talking about like a sort of walk in the park type situation. Like they'll come on some, some serious expeditions with us. You know, I know definitely Marty has and, and everybody, even Stone, the guys from Stony Creek have and, and a, a, a number of guys that we're involved with have, have been either out in the field with us or who have pretty much have had some, you know, real-time part to play in, in some of the hunts and expeditions we've done. So I think it's important in what we do, like to have people that, that are, it's not just a case of like, yeah, you know, here's a product, but like we want you to wear it. Like, we're not, we're not really about that. Like, 
for us within our group, they have to things have to meet a certain sort of credential for us to go. Yep, yeah, now nah, this is something we want to like stand by. And so, um, and I guess that's a two way street too. You know, they they see some benefit, and and maybe what we stand for is something that that they can associate with their brand, for instance. But not a huge focus for us. But we're definitely thankful and appreciative of the people that have backed us. That's for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And, and uh, Dave's not only a, a true professional, but um, he's not afraid to carry big loads up steep hills. And I think uh, one oh, of the mate. best best pieces of TV history has got to be him <laughs> going up that spur in Fiordland and just being soaked, drenched, carrying that camera. Um, I, I admit, man, like that in the time <laughs> I've known Dave and the and the hunts and the, I mean the number, I don't even know how many days on the trot we've done trips, and it's like. But that guy, he he takes a flogging real well. Like he, he's happy to just like he's happy to like throw that heavy pack on and just get stuck into it. And that was one of the things that struck me when I first met Dave, um, or not met him, but went in the field with him. That he was so keen and just happy to like to go through some suffering, even to this day now. Um, to to be able to be right there with that lens and and capture some of that footage and. And it's not it's not an easy it's not an easy task for a, for a cameraman to be doing that man like I mean when you're hunting you've got your kit and whatnot and, you, and you're used to it like I've been doing it for years but for Dave for instance he it was something that he basically threw himself in the deep end with and uh, he's come out trumps on top like he's even physically like like I said I mean he's carrying so much more gear than we are at times um, and we almost initially would refuse to carry his kit <laughs> we're just like nah if you if you, if you need that and you bring him on a trip you carry it. <laughs> but um, no, we've softened up a little bit on him now. Like we, I, 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 me anyway. I'll, I'll definitely help him out carry some gear. But yeah, man, he packs some kilos. That's for sure. Eh? I, I remember one trip we were coming out. Um, it was actually a trip we did in Australia, and we were climbing out of some real gnarly, like um, Victorian Alpine country. And it was just, it was just an, a climb out. There was no up or down or sort of long. It was just vertical meters to gain, and we were fully loaded after. I think it was like a seven or eight day trip. I can't even remember now, but like we were heavy, like heavy meat, heavy bone, just heavy everything. And um, man, Dave, like we were just literally crawling to the finish line there. But it was like trips like that or, or situations like that. I kind of look over my shoulder and go, you know what? Take my hat off to you, man. You're out here doing it with us and you've got all your camera gear in addition to capturing like some amazing footage, you know? So yeah, I, I always take my hat off to Dave, even though we, we give him a bit of stick from time to time. But like he's... But he's 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 legit, man. He's out there carrying some weight around and, and capturing it all on camera. So he's a force to be reckoned with. Absolutely. And you bring up um, <coughs> mountain country, Victoria, and um, and I said about you know YouTube warriors. What's it like losing your, um, your YouTube warrior mate to to Australia? <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, I mean, like I'm I'm assuming you're talking to Jamie, Jamie about yeah. Jamie. Like, yeah, he's. Uh, I was talking to, to, on a, a podcast not so long ago about Jamie and like, yeah, he's just one of those guys. He's, he's almost in the same sort of carry as, as Dave. Like he's, he's, he's either all in or all out. Like, <laughs> and, uh, and I like that about him, you know, like, and that's, I think it, it's the same with YouTube and stuff. He's like, right, I'm going to start filming hunts again. And so we used to do that stuff way back when, but even now, I'm the kind of guy that sort of sits in the back and go, oh yeah, you know, that's pretty cool. But back, even back then going back 10, 15 plus years, like Jamie was always the guy that was capturing footage just for his own catalog, not to show anybody or, or whatever. It was just for his own, um, for his own catalog and his own, I guess it's just his own records. And 
and now even like now looking back on all that stuff i'm really thankful that he did it um because because i wasn't i was taking the odd photo <laughs> but that was about it and so we can go back and show our kids now and and uh we can show them the things that we did even you know even even though that was so long ago now we've even got like tapes like old school tapes of videos that, that he uh i think he's now converted into dvds and stuff but but yeah going over and doing that trip with him was was awesome it was sort of like um being able to capture it for the show and go and do one of our like because we do that we do a trip of that kind of nature most years mm-hmm. and uh to be able to get it on camera and actually go through the real grind with dave in tow capturing it was really cool for us um but yeah, it's the, the YouTube world. Is a, I, I actually, I really love it. Like, I like being able to like see what other people are doing, and just it's a great way to like, um, I don't know, just to, to see like what other people are doing in the hunting and outdoors world. Like, this hunters are real adaptable people by nature because of what we do, and and having a platform like YouTube or Vimeo, for instance, it just it just allows us to be able to share all of that information, share those like. Um, I guess those trips and, and uh, knowledge. And I mean, all you've got to do in any subject matter is just like type in the subject and you just get a, like thousands of videos on that topic. So I think that's really cool to be able to do that in comparison to say like 10 years ago when, you know, if you're wanting to find out about hunting or find out about particular things, you'd have to go and like, I don't know, find a book or something or <laughs> and read about it. But now there's it's all this access to information and, and experience from other people that are able to share it on a platform like YouTube. So I think it's pretty cool. Yeah, and uh, you know, just speaking to to the books and magazines, they're, they're fantastic in terms of in terms of narrative. <laughs> but um, in terms of trying to find some information, you kind of got to uh, read yeah thousands of articles. <laughs> well, we've all evolved these days into just like we need we, our attention spans have just got like this big, and we need information like now. And so I guess yeah, but this I still like I still love being able to flick through flick through um you know a, a hard copy publication you know and, and read articles I, I i enjoy that that too so there's still a place for it but as you said it's like fast times now everybody wants to get the information like yesterday and yep. so um instagram and youtube and all those social media platforms are ways that, that people can like hyper share that stuff real quickly so there's a place for it but at the same time sometimes i like to be removed from it at times but um yeah I, it's useful that's for sure yeah, now I've just finished up a, um, a book about hunting Wapiti, I think, in about 1970s, and it was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, wow. Yeah. yeah. I, um, speaking of something that, you know, there's no shortcuts to, despite how many how much information there is in it, and that's bow hunting. How did you get, you know, put the rifle to the side and, and go, right, I'm going to do this thing more primitively? I actually, I... Um... I, I don't know the turning point. Like, I don't know where I was like, you know what? I'm going to be a bow hunter now. I just, I, I actually, it was, I was in the process of move. Oh, I don't even, I can't actually put my finger on it. Like the exact moment I was like, yep, I'm going to start bow hunting now. I always had an interest in it. So it was always sort of an undertone and I really wanted to give it a go. But I, I guess, um, I guess, I guess, because to go back a little bit, like we used to go on, you know, as most keen hunters do, and you, you've got like literally the raw, you know, end of March through to April blocked out, and every year, like we were, we were hunting the raw, and so, not that it was becoming sort of like humdrum, but the, I always look forward to those raw trips. But I just wanted to like challenge myself. I just like I really loved it to to be able to um to hunt a, a big red alpine stag with a bow, and I guess that challenge is what sort of got me interested in it. 
And so when I finally did get myself put in a bow, um, it was actually Simon Boulevard, um, who, you know, is, a, is an incredible bow hunter in his own right, um, and a Kiwi. And uh, he put me in my first bow, and I'd sort of like, there was just no turning back. Like once he'd sort of set me up in it and I started practicing shooting targets, I just, it, it just felt good to me. Like I didn't, I just wanted, I liked the challenge, I liked the technical aspect to it. Um, so once I'd sort of sunk my teeth into it, it was really hard to turn around and go back to hunting with a rifle, like solely. So yeah, I'm sort of the kind of guy, like if there's a challenge or a learning curve or something to new to like sink my teeth into, like I'm just, I'm like, I become like so like focused on it. And that's what, and then, you know, that's what happened. And so, you know, fast forward a handful of years and it's just, it's my chosen preferred tool to, to hunt with now. And so, um, not saying that I, I don't use or have rifles. I still I still use a rifle in certain circumstances or certain um, scenarios. So, um, but it is it's a massive it's a massive learning curve, and I think that's why I love it so much. Is that I not there's not a trip that goes by or a person or another bow hunter that I hunt with that I don't learn something from. So for me, that's like. Uh, like a real draw card that makes me want to do it more and more and more and more in addition to the increased challenge of hunting some of the species that I probably, I guess I took for granted at times mm. um, hunting with the rifle. So there was like, it's always something that people revert back to. Like it was a challenge to change from rifle to bow. But for me, like there was other aspects to it feeling, I don't know, it just felt right. Like felt way more primal and just more natural to me. Um, and I like the, the fact that it's, it makes me slow down my hunting. It makes me slow down and think about what I'm doing more um, just because of the nature of, of archery. Like you, you, can, you can't just like up and bang, you know, it's not, there's a process that you've actually got to go through and that process has to be, has to, has to over time become like almost like a refix. And so I have this like checklist that I go through when I do find myself in a situation where I'm at full draw. And so that process alone makes you slow down right up to the point where you let an arrow go. So I like that. I like that about bow hunting is that it's not as chaotic and there's well, when I say chaotic, it's not as rushed. Like the whole process from stalking right up to that moment where you do let that arrow go. It's way more calculated to me. It feels like that anyway. So, um, I guess I'd sort of gravitate more towards that now than I do with the rifle. But I mean, I found myself out hunting with a rifle, you know, a couple of weeks ago, hunting, hunting roost with a rifle. And I enjoy that because so the terrain and the distances don't allow me to hunt with a bow in, in this particular area, but I still hunt them with a bow. So yeah, it depends on the situation, I guess. So how do you get on in, in the bush? Is there, is there, and I know Caden on your show when he was on Stuart Island, you know, it's pretty tight stuff. Yeah. Um, how do you get on when an animal pops up in front of you? Is it just, it's just gone? Like it, it usually it's just yeah. gone with the gun anyway, but <laughs> yeah, effectively like, um, <clears throat> yeah, once you put an animal up and it's on the hoof and moving, like it's like with a, with a bow in your hands, you, 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 that's your kind of opportunity kind of missed really. But, and that, that comes down to being like a, a good stalker. Like if you're able to stalk in and get in close to animals unawares that that's like, that's where you make your money is like if you can get in nice and close undetected being able to creep in there and, and be able to get to a situation where you're in range to be able to let an arrow go like that's about as good as it gets but there's been situations where i've been able to like in the bush like in the climb was not so long ago being able to like i've, I've sort of bumped an animal on, off the track 
and being able to sort of let out a whistle and it's you know red deer being as curious they are if they're running away from sound generally if you or smell like if you, you can pull them up just for a moment to give you that chance to be able to come to full draw get a beat on with a pin and, and let an arrow go but that's a that's like the far end of the spectrum it's like mm. you don't ideally want to be hunting like that with a bow so i've had a couple of situations that have i've been lucky enough to get something on the fly but most of the most animals i shoot with a bow it's all slow and steady easy does it type scenario and being able to get in nice and close and be like calculated about what you're doing um and i think that's a key like you talk to those top bow hunters i mean you you just watch those guys and like if i mean videos or or, or you, you see the way that they hunt like that's they're slow methodical you know they're able to get in nice and close and and be able to make those arrows count <laughs> Yeah, man. <clears throat> um, you said you were, you know, talking on another podcast, and, and of course, I was an educated hunter. Um, mm. And and with that, I found that there was a super honest and awesome conversation Curran had with you about actually being at full draw, and you know, the the thing that's weighing on him at the moment is is this going to be effective? Um, mm. how, did you, how did you sort of get past that? I'm going to be effective. Going back to you know, going to the CrossFit Games, I'm going to be effective. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I knew that. I knew that there was a limitation to my effectiveness of the games. But um, with, with with the bow, with the bow, I, I actually remember. I actually remember um, going and seeing Simon Willenbart in, in Auckland, and, and he was sort of putting the bow archery? out. Yeah, he, he was working with Advanced Archery at the time, um, yeah, okay. way back then. And anyway, I it was just him and I, I think in the shop that day and he was sort of getting me kitted out and showing, going me through the basics and stuff. And he was just saying like, <laughs> I can actually remember him saying to me, go like, don't even think about going out there and shooting animals until you can like, until you're nailing that target and you're confident with shooting, you know, three arrows on like whatever the size of the target was that he was showing me at the time. And so I just remember that sticking in my head going, Oh, well, like, as soon as I heard that like, learning curve, I was like, "Bing!" I was like, "Okay, I'm going to make that my job. I'm going to try and I'm going to try and put those arrows touching at 30 meters." And I just I remember just going away and practicing and practicing and practicing and practicing what seemed like forever um, shooting targets. And I remember a whole year went round, and it was like our annual raw trip. And Jamie and I went, and I made the decision to take the bow on that trip. And um, I remember getting <laughs> with all the practice that I'd had. And all the confidence that I thought I had, I remember getting into this eight-point stag. He had like maybe three or four hinds of them. It was way up in the Tussock open um, country. And um, I was like, this is going to be too easy. It's like first trip with a bow with broadhead screwed on. I'm going to I'm gonna shoot a stag. This is going to be great. And I was really talking to myself like this. And I remember popping up out of the Tussock to come to full draw. And then as I locked sort of like settled back into the, um, into the back of my um, draw, I just realized that my release aid was flipped around and it was the trigger was on the opposite side of my hand. <laughs> and I remember just looking at the stag. I was only like 25 meters away looking at the stag and then kind of like looking out of the corner of my eye at my release aid. And I managed to just, I don't know what I was thinking, but I managed to like sort of flip my finger over and, uh, and sort of like let this arrow go. And it just clean missed. Like it just totally missed this, this, uh, the stag standing 25 meters in front of me. And then in hindsight, I, again, I'd made another mistake. I forgot to look through my peak. I was just looking at the animal through my foresight, putting the pin on this animal. So luckily, I didn't make contact with this, with this, this, this um, stag. But what it told me and, and made and reminded me like right there and then is that I was nowhere near the, the stage where it was instinct, like the, the process was instinctive and second nature. 
And so after that trip, I, I just went back to the drawing board and just kept on practicing, practicing, practicing. And it was probably another six or so months till I, I'd actually moved back to the North Island at this stage till I actually got out and, and, and shot a deer with that bow for the first time. And like, it was, um, to get it right was such a big confidence booster because hmm. it made pay for all the practice that you're doing up to that point. But it is a while, you know, talking to current, um, current, it's a thing I've spoken to other bow hunters. It's quite common. It's like, if you don't have that confidence in making sure that your arrows are going where you want them to be, I mean, an ethical hunter anyway, look, it plays on your mind a little bit. You're like, damn, I don't want this thing to be injured or like, you know, I don't, you know, it, there's a, it kind of, it does jog through your, your mind about it when you, when you are hunting, but I guess it comes, it's just like CrossFit and training and, and other things in your life is like you, you, you want to try and bank some practice and some money in the bank so that when when you do get in the situation where you are at full draw that you've got it locked down and you know and you're confident that in your process and in your accuracy and the distances and all that kind of stuff sort of locked away so i guess i I practice a lot i try and shoot every day if i can like at minimum like at least shoot six arrows or at least a quiver a day like at minimum just so that that process is always ticking over but I can understand where Kareem's coming. When, you know, when I was talking to him about it, I, I totally appreciate it. And I commend, I commend him for like being able to go, just let down and go, I'm, I don't want to, I don't want to take that shot because it's too risky or whatever. You know, I think that's the, the right mentality to have rather than letting the arrow go and then regretting it. Cause you've just seen, you've either hit him far back or you, you, yeah, you, you, it's, it's not a lethal shot. You know, that's, it's not a good feeling. That's for sure. Mm. Yeah, you know, with elk season coming up in the states, you see plenty of the the guys over there, you know, shooting 100 meters to try and get a group at 100 meters so that they can feel confident at 40 and 30. You know, yeah, it's just, and that, that's a that's my that's game, a legit eh? thing. Oh yeah, it's 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 like money in the like I keep saying, it's like money in the bank. Like having that accuracy and that practice under your belt. Like when when you when you've got a bugling elk at like 20 yards and you're at full draw, like. It's just you've gone through that process. You're happy about your accuracy. You're happy about the range, and your job really is to like make sure that arrow is, is as lethal as it possibly can. And so placement and range and stuff needs to be on point. So yeah, I mean, I, I can't even imagine what it'd be like if you were if you did draw a tag or you were in elk season and you had that big bull dream bull, and 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 for whatever reasons that that arrow didn't didn't find its mark, and you either lost the animal or uh, or something like that. that'd be that'd be a pretty hard thing to to live down in my in my books it would be anyway but i know it happens and it's not a um it's part of i guess it's part of archery but i guess it, it goes back to the archer and making sure that they're doing the practice and the time to make sure they're as lethal as possible i guess with that thing in their hand yeah and i guess you know for the rest of us hunters, it sort of, you know, the onus goes back on us, even if you're using a rifle to prepare. And that's one of the things that mm. I'm quite stoked about getting back to New Zealand and, and being part of NZDA is, you know, they, they put on yep. shoots and join up with shooting clubs. And there's a few few clubs out there that have ranges themselves, uh, Auckland and Topor and stuff, you know. Yeah, absolutely. Getting out there and getting in various positions and testing yourself. Yeah, I think, I think it's like anything. Like if you want to be... Um, you know, my old man, like he, he, he's always said to me, like you always strive for sort of like excellence. It doesn't mean that you'll be excellent or you'll be the most elite um, long range shooter or the best archer. But as long as you're striving for that, like striving is the keyword. Is if you, as long as you're like able to like um, try and and practice and try and make sure that you're you're good at what you're doing, then then that that counts for a lot. 
it's it's if you're not doing it and and then expect to go out in the field and and uh kill that bull at 60 meters well then <laughs> and you haven't shot your bow for like eight months well then that's 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 when the problems you know start to happen but even in saying that even if you are well practiced i've been in situations where my arrow hasn't quite found its mark and um you know it's made things more difficult in terms of retrieval and stuff like that like the the it's so dynamic when you are in the field and you do have an animal standing in front of you and you're, you're trying to make that lethal shot but it, it i for me anyway person i can't speak on the behalf of others but having some practice time at the range or behind the trigger is definitely worthwhile I can't stress it enough. I mean, it's an ethical thing to do to be to be um, definitely accustomed to all your gear, making sure you know the ins and outs of it, and you know how to operate it like correctly and accurately. I guess. Yeah, and I don't I don't know whether it's something that sort of speaks to our primitive brain or not, but I reckon hunters are the greatest visualizers out. You know, they're often you know like I say checking the ins and outs of their their weapon. Oh, you know? yeah. If, if, if something's at this, then I, I'm doing this, and I'm doing this, and I'm doing this. And, you know, I need to aim here and all this sort of stuff. <laughs> oh yeah. Where else do you use visualization in your life, man? Like, um, my wife's actually she um she she actually drums this or reminds me a lot about it a lot. She's she's a real actually a great person to have in my corner because she's she's always got she's always got the upbeat look on life and 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 visualization is a big part of um you know some of the things she always reminds me about yeah. and i think like every facet of my life like I, I try and try and visualize the thing happening that i want it to i guess it's that law of attraction you know like if you if you could think about it happening or you want it to happen and you kind of invest in that thought then the universe will bring it to you you know that that kind of mentality and so that's something she taught me like before i met her so i find myself visualizing a lot of stuff especially hunting like you know, before trips, I'm always like envisaging the perfect scenario or like if a scenario presented myself that was a little bit oddball, like how would I approach the shot or how would I approach the scenario to get myself from A to B? But yeah, so hunting is obviously the, the, the main thing. I've spent a bit of visualization recently with the games and stuff like that, like in training, I've been visualizing what it might like to have been out on the field and, and competing. Um, <laughs> But I find myself visualizing, like, even, I don't know. Yeah, I think I tend to use it more than I think now. I guess it's probably more daydreaming. It's probably not visualization. It's just daydreaming <laughs> than, than visualization. But I think it's an important, um, you know, if you, if you buy into that sort of positivity sort of mentality and thinking about that law of attraction, I think it's, a, it's definitely valuable. Because if you're thinking about the thing or the particular task or whatever it might be, if you're thinking about it, um, prior to doing it maybe for instance I mean, i'm sort of talking in from a hunting perspective and you definitely it's part of the preparation like you're definitely in a better position to be able to execute that when it when the situation actually arises so um so yeah i, I think visualization is an important thing for well i mean i i probably do it more than i think i do but as i said it'd be like a real fine line between daydreaming and actually like constructive visualization yeah. But um, yeah, I think I've got my wife to thank for a lot of that sort of slight way of thinking, because um, you know, especially you know, we're talking about the CrossFit Games, like going into it, there's a lot of doubt, even just like, like, am I actually going to go and do this, or should I just like send in a look? Sorry, I can't attend type scenario. But she was really sort of like, like she's actually the athlete, like Anna's the the actual athlete, like she's a far more um, accomplished a athlete than I am. But um, she, 
you know, she was the one in the background going, no, you know, like t- take the, the universe has sort of brought this sort of towards you, you know, to just take it with full force, seize the day and, and pig into it. And I sort of thought, well, you know what, you're right. Like, oh, that's how I treat my hunting. Like, why would I do, why would I treat this scenario any different? So I guess that's when all the visualization stuff came. But I can tell you what, it's pretty hard to do visualization when you sit on a rower for like 30, 40 minutes doing conditioning. I, sometimes I just, like, it's almost brain numbing. There's no space for visualization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the old um, Jim Terry yes man doesn't quite cut it when you're in the, in the yeah, heat, yeah. heat of it, sweating everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I do find myself doing like in actually in the heat of battle, like say doing a big climb or like you've got a lot of like um, altitude to gain or, or lose. I do find myself visualizing. I, I, I talk, you can ask Jamie about it, but we have this thing called the control room mm-hmm. and it's just this mindset we have where we talk about, we, we talk about it quite a lot. Like if we know, like when we're planning hunts, we know there's going to be a big burner somewhere in the trip. And like we're just like we always put on the map like this is the spot and like <laughs> this is we have to go into our control rooms and just like this is literally like putting it into neutral or low box and just box. grinding away. But it's the, it's the <laughs> mindset we we like we live for that mindset. So we, we always talk about it like who's piloting the, the control room when we get to this <laughs> point on the map, you know. So um, I don't know I don't know what Jamie's control room looks like, but my my ones sort of a, almost like a spacecraft and it's sort of like <laughs> i try and when we when it's real when it's really hurting we always try and sort of like backpedal into that because it's a sort of a funny way to kind of get you through those real nasty uh climbs and whatnot so i suppose that's a visualization tool i use when i'm hunting yeah, yeah. no it's one of my try next time i go back to beckintosh uh, plateau there's 200 meters of elevation to get over <laughs> oh. before, you, before you get started so it's always yeah fun. that's it Especially, especially when you start at the same height, but you've got to drop down to back up again. It's oh. <laughs> yeah, it's always the crux. Is like if you've got to climb somewhere, you've got to get back down, and if you're down the bottom, you've got to get back up. So you yeah. better just to suck the lemon and get on with it. Yeah, mate. Um, what, what's it like? You know, yourself and Dave, North Islanders. What's it like taking it down south? Um, I, I think I messaged you maybe about giving Tim a hard time one time, but <laughs> you know, yeah. Oh look, we, it's it's good. Like the way that we've like spread out, sort of throughout the country, like works for us. Like from a show perspective, like it's good having guys like spread out because we can kind of target areas. And then in, in addition to that, we've all got different commitments outside of the show, so it allows us to be a little bit more flexible around what we're doing, like with family, work, business, and obviously the show. But yeah, like we find ourselves, I probably find myself traveling more down than the guys coming up, just because just the way it works out with things like family and business and stuff like that. But I mean, I, I, the, the South Island's definitely not something unfamiliar to me. I've spent years down there hunting. And so like, I actually really enjoy the big country. I, I kind of like cut my teeth down in those big mountains. And I, anyone that's ever hunted in the South Island, like done a lot of alpine hunting, like there's a, I don't know, it's just something that draws you down there, you know, like, and not saying the North Island doesn't have that. Like the North, the, the Kaimanawas and the uh, Rohinis and parts of the Uruwiras definitely have that aspect too. Um, but I don't know, it's just different. I guess it's just different down there, but equally as, um, equally as awesome in the North Island in some patches. But yeah, look, we're lucky in the sense that the guys, like as I said, we're spread out throughout the country. So it allows us to do, you know, we can, we can be hunting effectively anywhere in the country um, with any one of the other guys on the show. Um, north or south so I'm, I'm comfortable in any sort of scenario in terms of like whether it's in the north or the south island 
pretty hard to get the boys from the deep south out here though. Like old Sam, he's he's a he's a real Southlander. So, um, but no, and in saying that, he's come, he's come up a few times. We've hunted a few times up here. Um, I think we've got. I think I don't know if it's. Yeah, actually, I think it has aired. We had a, we did an episode up here last last year. We did a bit of meat hunting, sort of like yeah. uh, early late summer, sort of stuff like that. So yeah. I, I think we're we're fortunate because of the way that we're structured that we can we can we're quite mobile. Like it's just a plane flight somewhere. That's a beauty about hunting in New Zealand. Like literally, you could be in downtown Auckland, you could be in Christchurch in in a couple of hours, say, and then maybe another hour and a half to two hour drive. Like you're you're basically in the main divide. So there's not many places in the world that that you can do that. Like Victoria, for instance, like you got to drive a fair way if you want to go back country. I'm talking like. Hmm. Um, to, to go deep and, and uh, just it's a fair old hike to some of those some of those parts in the US probably even more Europe Asia maybe even further so we're pretty fortunate that we can do that stuff in New Zealand just literally on our back doorsteps so North South Island I'm sweet with it all to be honest <laughs> you know um, and so oh, something I was talking to you about was you know people coming here how do you get on with going to, to Australia because it was something I whilst living in yeah, Australia we, I didn't, I didn't yeah. look into and, and despite talking to a couple of Aussies, I've never got to that. Oh group. man, you should have. Because you're in, uh, you're in uh, Bellina, right? You're like, yeah, Northern, yeah, Northern New South Wales. That would have been, beautiful, would have been yeah. like a three hour, four hour drive to, to Grafton area. Might, yeah, might right. There, oh then. man, you've got like Rusa sort of handy, red deer, there's wild pigs, high plains goats. Or there's, a, there's a bunch of hunting we done in New South Wales. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't get me wrong. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, I guess like um, it's an interesting one because there's a lot of traffic coming into New Zealand to hunt. Yeah, but there's not a lot of traffic sort of going the other way. Well, not that I know. I mean, I'm not probably not in those circles, but um, yeah, it's. I guess the scenario that we've got in New Zealand, and probably even the same in Australia, is that you know we've got all this public land that you can hunt, and you know if you get the right sort of paperwork, you get your doc permit, and um, you've got the right sort of licensing and stuff, then you you can effectively turn up and hunt. And I guess because of the classification of species that we've got here, in terms of them being probably more viewed as a pest than a resource than if it's, you know, there's no sort of jurisdiction around um, sort of take or management on the species on, on, on on our uh, wild game species. Then I guess that scenario will exist for a long time. I don't have too much, too much of a problem with it, to be honest. Like if guys are willing to like come down from wherever they are on the planet to come and hunt in good old New Zealand, like good good on them. Um, The only thing that I, and just with, through some of the work with the Mountain Safety Council is like, it, just you want to make sure that you're prepared. Like like going on any any outdoors expedition or hunt, like you want to make sure you 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 know you're not biting off more than you can chew type scenario. And I know I'm not saying it happens to every person that comes to New Zealand, but I know that um, that some some guys have come over maybe and not expected it to sort of occur, but they found themselves in some pretty sticky situations and you know alpine regions and and in some scenarios has been has been death. So yeah, I think there's probably a caution thing is to make sure that if they are going to come down here and hunt, like make sure you're you're ready. Um, but in terms of talking about going out to hunt, like I'm, like yeah, like I go to Australia probably at least a couple of times in the year to hunt. So um, there's so much opportunity to hunt there, especially Victoria, Queen. I mean, the legislation around hunting public lands different from state to state. Uh, I know New South Wales has some restrictions, and you have to have certain permits and whatnot. Um, Victoria is probably more similar to New Zealand in terms of being able to hunt national park and wilderness country. Queensland's different, um, not allowed to hunt in some public areas. 
So a lot of the hunting that gets done is sort of fringe station country. That's like wild, wild country, but um, it's privately owned in some scenarios. So the dynamics you'll have to get around um, to be able to hunt in those places, but it's just the same as I guess going to the US is like mm-hmm. being able to go over and, and, and get a tag over the counter and hunt certain units at certain times of years for certain species. But the, the beauty about that is that it's well managed, you know, like, you know, where, like you know it's it's cut and dry like you know exactly what the the law is you know where you can and can't hunt the times the species the number of animals you can shoot because they are endemic or i guess they are endemic or like native species to the to the area that there's obviously has to be some sort of manager around it and it's quite a good system whereas we don't we don't have that in new zealand because none of our wild game species fit into that category so um and it probably it doesn't look like it probably will change i guess but I do, I do, I did remember watching or reading something about um, Adam Greentree recently being over here and getting caught out and something like that. But you know, he's an experienced guy. I mean, it was probably something that um, probably wasn't going to bother him too much. But, but I see that scenario happening a lot. It's like guys coming over from overseas and then finding themselves in a in a, um, in a sticky situation for whatever reasons. Um, you know, those are things that we probably don't want to. We want to try and avoid, I guess. It's like putting people in danger just out of, I guess, lack of experience, maybe, or um, the lack of knowledge of the area or the terrain that they're in, for instance. Mm. And yeah, but, yeah, definitely with Adam, it motivated me to, you know, start taking the PLB, especially because. Um, oh yeah, for sure. A lot, a lot of the time, I've been going by myself, and so you know, I've got a got a rhino, but you know, that, that doesn't work if you're in, in trouble. Um, and of course, you guys, yeah. you guys have have the inreach, you know. You, you, yeah, I haven't had any problems with it. I know that I know I didn't actually to to um, not discredit Garmin or or um, what um, the situation that Adam was in. Um, I'm not too sure that I need to sort of school myself up more on what happened there. But um, I haven't had any problems with lion reaches. I take that pretty much everywhere I go, like whether it's for work or pleasure or whatever. It's always somewhere handy to me, just for just for uh, safety's sake, but I haven't had any issues with it at all. And it's been, a, it's been a real godsend. Um, <laughs> some of the boys could probably attest to it. Cause you know, things like having, having children and having to film episodes like yeah. at certain times of the year when like, you know, we've got wives at home who are about ready to burst and, uh, and sending, being able to send out a quick message to say, Hey, <laughs> choppers are coming to pick you up. You was get, an, home right? get home. Um, yeah, Dan or Dan actually. Dan, but, um, yeah, yeah. I uh, I had a trip before Grace was born. I had a trip in Fjordland with Anton, and I was probably cutting it fine. But Anna, Anna was kicking me out the door, going, "Go and get it done," because you can see you're moping around about it. Like, go and go and get the trip done. And so I went down, but it, we were like, from memory, it was like maybe a couple of weeks, <laughs> you know, like I had. So I had the inreach was awesome because down there, like, there's no reception or anything. You, you, I had basically a chopper on standby just in case anything happened. Fortunately, nothing did. So, but just being able to have that that equipment with you to be able to get messages out or get updates out is is awesome. So um, I don't go far without it these days. Yeah, no, and I think um, <coughs> that uh, first time you, you guys had the the Wapiti episode, I think the guys got the cricket result from the World Cup, and of course, yeah. was it any good? <laughs> no, nah, that's right. Well, that's the other thing too is that you can be out in the bush and and totally oblivious to what's going on in the outside world. And then you either get a message that's like telling you bad news or like a cricket or rugby result. And you're just like, Oh, puts a bit of a damper on things, <laughs> but um, extremely handy piece of equipment. That's for sure. Yeah. No, 
it's a, it's a good piece of kit and, and definitely uh, when you, if you're looking to buy a PLB, you kind of start to go, oh, maybe I'll get all, all of mine in because I think that's such a, such a good idea. You know, especially yeah, I use, yeah, I use the little InReach Mini and um, that's great because it's like it patches in, like you can run it off your phone pretty much like it just sits in a, in a little um, pouch in my, in my pack or in my uh, or wherever it's being stored and, and, and it can just, I just message and run everything and maps and whatnot just straight out of the, the mobile interface. So it's real handy like that because it's just super accessible. Mm. Um, zero weight, like a thing weighs about 60 grams or something. I don't know the technical, <laughs> I should do, but I don't. But um, it's super light, totally unobstructive, but it's like a lifeline to the outside world when you're, out, when you're real deep. You know, you want to have that, that, um, that peace of mind that you can, you know, beam a message out if it all turns tits up, you know. Yeah. Right, well, speaking of um, family call, calling your name, I think mine's calling my name. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> where, where, where do you, uh, where, where do we find find you? Of course, I'll put, check it in, in the show notes. I know where to find you, but um, yeah, you tell oh, us, tell I us mean, where to look. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm on social media, um, on mostly on uh on uh, Instagram, I guess it's just something easy. But you can my my tagline there is like train hunt thrive. Um, we can search my name there. Um, I'm always happy to like answer questions or correspond with people if they're if they're uh, if they're willing. But that's probably the easiest way to contact me or, or find out what I'm doing from time to time. And then likewise with the the Hunters Club Facebook pages um, or Instagram page, like we're always keeping that updated and keeping people posted on what what we're doing. So be the best way to make contact if you if you want to ask more questions or get in touch yeah and um the, sh- the show you mentioned vimeo before the last few seasons are back up on there now and yeah and- actually um a bit of a shameless plug yeah the red stag timber hunters club we're on sky sport on uh, in new zealand but we've also just we've just uploaded the of season four on vimeo so that's just out to purchase so you can um uh, you can uh, log on to vimeo there and find out uh what season four entailed in fact, I'll probably give you the um, the, the, the discount code. It's mates, M-A-T-E-S, if you want to uh, get some uh, discounted rates on the rental and purchase of those episodes. But, yeah, season four has just been uploaded in the last couple of hours. So, um, yeah, we've been had a lot of people ask about that. So it's all open to all domains now, I think. So, yeah. Nice. But, yeah, we're, what, what are we like? We think we're like episode seven just aired on Monday night um, for season five. So, yeah, we've got some good content in the can and we're in season six looking pretty good too. So, um, yeah, we're looking forward to being able to share what we've got so far with everybody. Um, it's always um, a labour of love for us, so it's great to share it with everybody else. Wicked, man. No, it's, it's cool to have such a quality show on telly and, you know, like we said five years ago, there was nothing to all of a sudden look yeah. to. It's fantastic. Mate, what would you like to um, leave us with? Thought, way you're living your life or, or even, even a question if you've, if you've got something you'd... Love some feedback on. Uh, I don't know. I guess it's something I leave leave my uh, to leave with who was I. I don't know. Like I just just the discussion we've had about the things that we're passionate or that we're passionate about, and, and I guess just my recent trip to the US with the games and stuff. Like it's just like yeah, just being able to like sort of seize the day. You know, like um, every opportunity that comes your way, whether it's in the outdoors or um, or otherwise, and being able to like sort of really grasp with two hands and sort of run it straight. You know, just full send. <laughs> nice, mate. That was that was absolute Kiwi way of uh, of of terming it. Seize the day. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, yeah. Cheers, man. I'm going to press pause and we'll leave it there. No worries. Hey, great to talk to you, mate. Cheers. Simple and effective message there from Andre. Just sees the day. Yeah, 
it's a, it's a good way to think about things. As I've said before, I always write down um, 30,000 and 86,400 when I do my journaling. 30,000 days is about how long we live. Not that many, really. And there's 86,400 seconds in the day. So plenty of seconds to do things that are meaningful, do things you're passionate about and make a difference. Um, awesome. Andre's agreed to come back onto the podcast. I pretty much had to cut this one short. Um, it's having difficulties with the with the young one. It was that full moon se- season. <laughs> so, yeah, we're going to get Andre back to talk a little bit more on fitness and, and nutrition. Um, tell us a bit more about what he learned at the CrossFit Games with some uh, lectures from Greg Glassman, the head of CrossFit, um, talking about low-carb and paleo diets for performance, um, something that we've heard plenty about on here from the likes of Cliff Harvey. Um, and, yeah, be sure to go into the show notes and check out the links to the Vimeo address for the Hunters Club on Vimeo if, if you want to catch up on their fantastic repertoire of episodes of all things hunting, fishing, uh, pig hunting. It's pretty epic. Um, head to the show notes to get the link to the Steiner Prize shoot with the NZDA Auckland branch um, to register for that, which is coming up on Saturday. And also head to the show notes to click on my Instagram page, give it a follow, tag a mate in the uh, competition drawer, and, and hopefully get your hands on volume two of the Hunter's Journal. Of course, I bring you the episodes with the help of Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0.proveitnow.com, and that's for exogenous ketones. Speaking of low-carb uh, fueling for performance, um, ketones are massively awesome. If you're out on the hill, you're wanting to... Uh, burn more efficient energy, uh, be in ketosis. Uh, also, if you have a head knock, ketosis is awesome for helping to keep the brain fueled when it's in a state of trauma. Um, also, to help protect the brain if you're playing contact sports like rugby, um, wrestling, all that sort of jazz. Um, MMA, there's plenty of guys in the UFC using exogenous ketones. And yeah, just a really awesome tool if you're into fasting or, or intermittent fasting, ketosis, um, something to help you out. Yeah, head to the website, w-i-k-e-t-zero.proveitnow.com. Contact me at, at the Stag Raw on Instagram or on the Waikido Facebook page if you're a Kiwi and you want to get your hands on exogenous ketones. Um, it's only a couple of months left before the price goes up due to the fact that U-Shop's now going to be charging GST. So if you want to get in, now's the time uh, before the price goes up. And yeah, awesome tool. Um Hit me up if you've got any questions, any thoughts, any people you'd love to hear on the stagger. I'd love to interview them. I've got a number of people lined up. Um, so, yeah, we're going to be at episode 100 soon enough. Bloody exciting. Um, and, yeah, thanks for listening. Cheers. <laughs>